Happy Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the Nipping for Jesus podcast. This is episode 49. We've been away for about seven months, but I am so excited to bring the podcast back. We are we are recording to our Facebook page and on YouTube. Plus, you can find the audio format on Anchor and on Spotify and and all your podcast apps. So today's episode, we are going to be uh, talking about American the the decline of American Christianity, um, which was first uh, reported in a new Pew study, uh, saying that by twenty some by twenty seventy, uh, if trends continue, uh, half a half of Christians will make up. The American landscape. Now we are going to give a biblical response to this, but first I wanted to give up, give you guys some life updates, some ministry updates where you can find Nymping uh, for Jesus. So we are going to be looking at, we are going to be looking at um, in a minute. But what I wanted to do was give some updates about where we've been. So the podcast has been away for about seven months. Um, I needed to step away from uh, pastoral ministry for a time to heal and get back on my feet. But the podcast is back. Today is our official day back. On Thursdays, we are going to be doing topical issues. Uh, from a biblical viewpoint, and then on th- and on Fridays we are going to do a Bible study. So, Nempe for Jesus, you can find us at. We have a new website at www.nempeforjesus.com. On that website, you can see uh, teachings I provide and other services that Nempe for Jesus are going to offer to churches. Uh, with my background in disability, uh, I am available to provide churches the, um, the ability to do peer support for Christians with disabilities and and the whole ministry here at, at Nymping for Jesus is to help people trust God in hard circumstances, in hard things. Life is not easy. We are all limping, rather that is emotional or physical or relational. We all have things that leave us banged up on the outside, on the inside, and we want to help people limp well for Jesus. We want people to know that they are loved. You can find Limping for Jesus on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Instagram. So you can find us on all those apps, but but you can also find us on your favorite podcast app. So in March of 2022, I got remarried to my beautiful wife, Sarah. Uh, we make our home now in, in Aliquippa, and I am serving at a church in Newcastle, PA, uh, called... Evangel Community Church. I am their associate pastor, and I am responsible for doing outreach to our community. We have a great plan of reaching families with disabilities. Our church is accessible. It, it was a great uh, interview process uh, when I when I got hired. Like they wanted me specifically for my experience as a pastor and as a disability rights advocate. They knew they knew that would be a good combo for what they're trying to do. So, so got remarried. I uh, uh, trying to learn the last seven months. The reason why we took a break from ministry was I I went through a divorce um, at the end of uh, at the end of the 2020. I was separated and went through a divorce. And I'm just learning to do life as, you know, a new husband and a new role as a, as a pastor and also uh, loving my son who is 12 years old. And we had to, so 
pastors are not exempt from real life problems. We're not. And I took seven I took over a year to step back, take a break from ministry, uh, go through therapy, and also <laughs> As I did that, I I hit the road again doing stand-up comedy uh, in the Pittsburgh area, and that was really that was really good for me uh, to just you know to get on stage and make people laugh, and while I was going through hard things, so so we decided my my wife and I we re we relaunched um, Nimping for Jesus about five months ago and god is doing amazing things with this ministry like our facebook outreach alone we are uh thousands of people are being encouraged by um our devotions and my teachings because i try to be a pastor and i my whole life um i i can't pretend that being a christian is all rainbows and unicorns we go through hard things I go through hard things. I went through hard things. So we we desire to help people trust God. And 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 what happens is is people get this uh, false narrative that, and I blame the prosperity gospel on this. That if you believe in Jesus, everything will go right. You you'll have the BMW. You'll have the you'll have the health. And then when life gets hard. In their in the the gospel that they were taught um, does not help them. They walk away, and and I feel like when when we get into the main topic today of the trends in America, and this study says uh, Christianity will be the minority in fifty years. I want to show you that the Bible has a more hopeful outlook of the future of the world not just in america but of the world so if you want to know the study that we are going to be looking at it's this study right here it's modeling modeling the future uh modeling religion in america and it's a pew study and you, and you can find this on google or whatever but it, it it pretty much says it pretty much says um, that the religious landscape could change over the next 50 years. I have a more hopeful outlook on this. I, I, I'm going to show you, you know, we're going to look at a couple of the reasons why I believe there is an issue. So, so go, you can go find this Pew study at the link here, uh, uh, it's seven pages, so if you like reading, you're going to be reading for a while. But I I want to give a biblical response to, uh, is Christianity in America declining? Is it? I'm going to say that what I have experienced as a pastor is that people uh, are, we are in what's known as a post-Christian nation. So people are, are you know, the study refers to this, and the study gives four possible scenarios. But what the, the one thing that they talk about is this scenario that there are people who are not um, getting any type of biblical upbringing in their home, and more people are open to say that they're not Christian, that they're, they don't have... A, a biblical foundation at all, and and what I what I have said for you, what I saw for the last twenty years as a youth pastor and a pastor is is you know a lot of times kids went to church because their parents made them go to church, and then when they were seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, they checked out because they never really believed. They never really believed. They they were forced to go. They were forced to go, and then when they got freedom and they got on their own, they they were they just didn't believe that's where they were. And then you had that segment of people, and then you and and I know that the buzzword right now is deconstruction. People are deconstructing their faith, and there are a lot of reasons. There are a lot of reasons 
that people deconstruct their faith. I know there are a lot of people who start out on fire for God and they see the biblical church in the New Testament filled with love and compassion doing amazing things in the world for God and then they look up from their Bibles and they look at their local churches and they and they don't see it. They see uh, sex scandals in the church, whether it's Catholic or Protestant. They see abuse in the pulpit. They see abuse, uh, egomaniac pastors. They see they see a church that does not reflect the church they see in the Bible, and they they deconstruct. I I know uh, I can say as a pastor, I went through this. I went through uh, hard things in my life. Uh, uh, active ministry and 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 people treat pastors really badly sometimes. Like you could be doing everything that you're called to do as a pastor, and people can treat you horribly. And every month, the 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 rate of pastors leaving ministry is going up. And and a lot of a lot of deconstructionists are former Bible teachers and pastors because of this avenue. Now, I will also say the other part of deconstruction is people who just never really believed. They never truly believed in Jesus. They were forced to go to church. They just went through the motions. And when push comes to shove. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't want to do Christianity because they never believed. Uh, I had a friend years ago tell me uh, that when she was teaching down south, the question in the Bible about was not, was not, do you go to church? It's what church do you go to? It was expected. Now, pastoring up north, people don't, People don't pretend uh, to make church or faith a priority anymore. If little Johnny has a t-ball game or a soccer tournament at 10:45 and church church is at 10:45, uh, the ball game wins out. Sports is an idol, and our I I love sports. Let me tell you, I love sports. I'm a football nerd. I love football. I played soccer growing up. I love com- watching combat sports. Sports is is good. I I love sports, but it has become an idol in the American church where where if sports has if little Johnny has a sport game on a Sunday, that tournament's going to win out. So you have people who don't pretend that other things are go- are prior- priority for them. So they rather go to X, Y, and Z on Sundays, and if they have time, they'll, they'll come to church. I, I'm telling you, people who proclaim to be Christians, and uh, you would say, hey, are they mature? Are they mature? And if you took them through a test, they might pass a Bible quiz or something, but at the end of the day, they're not putting church as a priority. So here's a biblical response to the decline of um, American churches. This is from Jesus, and this is Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then he then he will then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, listen, a lot of churches in the history, in the modern history of Christianity, they, they got so addicted to getting uh, confess, uh, confession numbers, 
getting people to say the sinner's prayer, getting people uh, so-called saved, but there was no follow-through with them. There was no discipleship with them to see if they truly converted to Christ. And there was no uh, caring about their life after conversion. Uh, when I was 18, uh, 18, 19 years old, uh, a gentleman at a church I was attending stopped me in my tracks and said, Hey, young man, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Okay, so I don't know of anyone here that ever said yes to that question. But I said, no, I guess not. And he said, okay, say this prayer, say this prayer. And I said this sinner's prayer, and he tapped me on my back and said, okay, you're in. I said, in what? What did I just do? And he talked, he looked at the pastor and goes, I got another one for heaven. I was not a Christian at 19. I did not know what I did. I did not know. And, and that's what we do. We pressure people into saying the sinner's prayer or going down to the altar, but we don't do life with them. We don't know where they're at spiritually. So, so a lot of times people will go to a, a Christian concert or Christian event or church and say that, um, we had 25,000 people come to the Lord and then there's no follow through. There's no, there's no connecting them to a church. So a lot of times people are not truly Christians because they say the sinner's prayer. So many people who think they're Christians because they went to a vacation Bible school at seven years old and repeated a prayer, but never again in their life uh, was tracking with the Lord, are going to meet Jesus one day and realize that they were never Christian. Okay. Another thing, the Bible, the Bible tells us that some will depart the church. That inside the church, you have both true Christians and false Christians. You have weeds growing up inside the church also. Some will depart, but not all. 1 Timothy 4, 1-2. I, I did a teaching on this a couple weeks ago because people often use this passage to mean that no one at the end of times will want to believe in Jesus. That's simply not true. Even in this passage, Paul goes on to tell Timothy, live a life and model the life of, of a Christian leader for your people. Immerse yourself in teaching the word, in purity, and in public reading of the scripture. So if Paul thought that no one would believe in the word of God at the end of at the end of human history, why would he go on in his passage to tell Timothy to immerse himself in these things? So yes, some will depart Christianity, but not all. So the verse says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. And through the insincerity of liars, who conscience are seared. So yes, some will want false teaching. Some will want to disobey the word. And some will just totally depart Christianity. But not all. We have a victorious Jesus. He beat sin. He beat death. And he rose from the grave. He is sitting at the right hand of God. And he's coming back in victory. He's coming back in the victorious um, manner. Okay. What is hurting churches right now? What is hurting churches and and seeing growth? Okay. And I'm going to say it. This 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 is not not every church is going to fit this bill. If you have a healthy church and you are growing and you're making disciples, God bless you. So what is hurting churches and declining churches? Number one, preference is king. Preference is king. Churches put their personal preferences over tiny methods that, pro that are proven to reach people. 
This is largely reflected in worship styles. I, when you search churches, and and I asked when I got hired at my church on on my Facebook on my personal Facebook account, I asked my friends who have kids on what makes you stay at a church, and the the people said that the worship is engaging, the kids have. Uh, uh, a program that is biblical based, uh, leaders that love them, and they're taught to worship too. But see, here's what happens is, is when preference is king in the in the church, opportunity dies. Uh, when preference is king in the church, opportunity dies. If a church is set in their ways, and you do ministry in 2022 like it's 1948. You're going to get 1948 results. You need to know how to reach people where they're at. The gospel don't change. The gospel never change. We don't water down the gospel. But the way we present the gospel needs to reflect what we are experiencing in our culture. People want engaging worship. If you want people under the age of 100 to attend your church... You're going to have to engage them the way they like, that they like to um, worship the Lord. It's not about you. It's about the people that are outside the church that we are called to reach. You're already on the team. God bless you. I'm, I want to give you a high five. But if you want to reach people where they're at, you got to be ready to do that. Where preference is king opportunity dies. I've been a part of, of churches that that will make you feel bad for not dressing a certain way or you don't, you know, we we just do hymns and we, we just do that and we read the King James Bible and we're not going to try anything new. And, and then they look around and they wonder why there's no one in their church under the age of uh, a thousand. So if you want to reach families and children and the next generation of the gospel, you have to kill preference. It's not about you. Oh, I didn't like worship today. Well, good, because we weren't worshiping you. So we have, have to let preference die in our churches. We have to be willing to, to, um, to uh, have room to change. Okay. Another reason why why churches why are hurting churches legalism legalism chokes out grace it does as as a pastor there are personal things I cannot watch or listen to because it would or or activities that I that if I do them they'll make me stumble but if I get up in the pulpit and I say you got to do X Y and Z or you're not a good Christian. That's legalism. And and many churches choke out grace. We become grace keep we become uh gatekeepers of grace. That we we see the way people act, the way they dress. You know, social media has I know as a pastor, social media has made me look at uh the reality of people who are in the congregation. In the past, when pastors would just see you on Sunday or Wednesdays, you could put a mask on and and play the part of a good Christian. But when you become friends with your pastors on Facebook and we see who you really are, we see that you're not really tracking with the Lord. And 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 a lot of times, pastors don't know how to react and they get super judgmental. And my thing is, you got to love people where they're at. Social media allows me to know where your heart is because from the mouth, your heart speaks. So, 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 you know, if you, if you believe, okay, case in point, let's, let's talk about a topic, any type of topic, what music you listen to, what movies you watch, what, uh, uh, if you use alcohol, if you, if you, whatever topic you can think of, okay? I may personally have restrictions on myself 
on what I what I drink, what I eat, what I don't do. Or or but if I because I know if I do that I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stumble and I'm gonna give in to sin if I watch certain movies. But your your resilience to those things you may not have the same battle. So if I tell you, I, I remember I went to a, a, a Baptist church when I was younger, and to become a member there, you had to agree to not dance. You couldn't dance. There's dancing in the Bible. Dancing is a part of worship. David in the Bible dances naked at one point. Now, I'm not telling you to show up to your crazy aunt's Pentecostal church but naked, but the point is, legalism chokes out grace. Okay, another thing that happens is there's no authentic community where people can grow and ask tough questions. It, we don't come to Christ with a with perfectly packaged, with a bow tied around us. We are messy. We come to the cross messy. When I became saved at 19, 20 years old, I didn't know what certain things were were wrong. I didn't know. I was still doing activities, and, and the sins that I struggle with now are different than what I struggled back then. But we come to the cross messy. My my now wife Sarah, me and her. One of the things we did during our engagement was we attended a, a Bible study, a disciple program at her church called Rooted. Uh, several ch- her her church uh, was the Law Church. They served the the Pittsburgh area, and it was amazing because one of the weeks that we talked about was called Strongholds Week. And the men got together with the men, and the women got together with the women, and we talked about the things we battle with, the things in our life that are hard to kill. Every Christian, every Christian has a pet sin. We do. There is something that we are bent towards that get our attention. And the Holy Spirit and accountability can help us kick our strongholds in the face, but we all battle with something. Now, I can tell you, as a pastor, when you're in a group of Christians, uh, you can be scared to be transparent. Because you know, if I tell you something I struggle with, it could cost me my job. It could cost me my job. Uh, But we need communities that are authentic. We need to be able to be real with each other. And I'm going to tell you that the... The Rooted program had people who were coming to a, a, a church who has historic Baptist roots, and you had people from all different backgrounds learning in this Rooted program how to walk with the Lord, and they got to they got to know their journey. They got to learn how to share about the Lord, and it was amazing. And because they had this authentic space you can't tell me that people don't want jesus the the log church is growing immensely there there and when i say grow i don't i don't i just don't mean numerical i mean spiritually too they're they're uh, from a pastor on the outside looking in who went through this program with my wife i can spot a healthy church and an unhealthy church um, for some reason, we gotta get over in America that smaller is means you're holier. No, smaller just might mean that you don't know how to do ministry. Smaller might mean that you are set in your ways, you're arrogant, and you feel like what you prefer is better than what works. So smaller does not mean holier. Bigger can also mean that also. If you have a prosperity churches who grows because they give you a false gospel, but I'm telling you, the log church in Pittsburgh is a great example of giving people an authentic community 
where you can ask tough questions. You need to be able to have authentic community in church where you can ask tough questions. And if you ask tough questions about Christian faith and people, uh, the leadership like kind of squashes you. Like, for example, years ago, I was teaching in a Sunday school class when I was like 24 years old. And one of the students was, uh, was close to my age, was asking, she, she, it dawned on her, well, my grandma wasn't a Christian. Where is she? Is she in hell? She, she oh, my God, my, my grandma didn't believe. Is she in hell? That's a tough question. That is a tough question for to, to, to realize. And, or, you know, people, let, let's say people come to church and they're having marital problems. Or they actually, or they actually battle things like alcohol addiction and sexual addiction and any type of hangups. Do you know why Celebrate Recovery out of Saddleback Church has changed a lot of people's lives? Because it's it's a community based on grace. People they understand that people come messy. Okay. Another reason, another thing that hurts churches, a church, a church's application of end time theology is often a place of defeat. If people won't believe, why do evangelism? Just wait for the rapture. I don't care what view you have of end time theology. Many churches come from uh, a position of defeat. And I blame the early 2000s with those uh, pop culture and left behind books where, where people just think that things are going to get worse and worse and no one's going to believe in the gospel and we're just going to get zapped out like we're in a Star Trek episode. Peace, we're out. Let the world burn. So a lot of times... The, a church's abdication of end-time theology hurts their growth because they, come, they often come from a position of defeat. If you don't believe anyone's going to get saved, then you can look around and say, well, people don't want God. People don't want church. No, people do want God, but they want authentic church. They don't want to come and act like it's a funeral service all the time. They don't want to be judged because they might not be perfect. We cannot tell people, come as you are, and when they come as they are, judge them. So, a church's application of end-time theology is not always one of victory. Okay. And the the last point I'm going to say before moving on. The Holy Spirit is not known or pursued. Okay. The Holy Spirit is not known or pursued. I I recently at my church that I I am the associate pastor. I just did a gift. A, a Bible study last month on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, here's why. In a lot of con- conservative churches, uh, I, I'm thinking about, like, when you think about Holy Spirit and gifts of the Spirit, your mind immediately goes to, like, Pentecostal churches. And there are a lot of solid Pentecostal believing churches out there that do not abuse or, or, counterfeit the gifts the the one thing i love about pentecostal churches is they desire to know the holy spirit they desire to know him they desire to pursue him and they they want the holy spirit to drive everything they do in the church so a lot of times in not in non-denominational churches or community churches or conservative churches the Holy Spirit is not manifesting because people are not seeking Him. So I love teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, and I, and I and I can't believe that God made that on my heart because there was one there was a time in my walk where anything 
dealing with the gifts, my mind would immediately go to the gift of tongues. And I thought it was hokey and, and not biblical. But but when you get into the Word of God, you start to understand that the gifts are for building up the church. And they are for building one another up. And and when the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is in a in the presence of a fellowship, lives are changed. And for some reason, and in a lot of a lot of churches, people don't even know what their gifts are. So so I taught a, a study on the gifts of the Spirit, and I also gave them an opportunity to take a uh, a gift assessment survey that a church put out. And it was so awesome when people of the church were texting me and saying, oh, oh, this is awesome, Pastor Mike. I didn't know my gifts. I didn't know I had the gift of mercy. I didn't have the gift of serving. I didn't have the gift of um, hospitality. God gives everyone at least one spiritual gift to serve other people. Uh, Often you get multiple gifts, but you don't get all the gifts because we, if you got all the gifts, you wouldn't need the church. But the gifts are designed for community. So churches need to pursue. I don't care if you're the 800th Baptist Church of New York or whatever. You need to be seeking the Holy Spirit. You want the Holy Spirit to be in your church. Okay. So the study says that Christianity is going to decline by 2070, all right? I have, I have a couple of thoughts about this. One, uh, I see right now it's a pruning process that people who, let's say, let's say people, let's count out the, let's say that people weren't hurt by the church, that their deconstruction wasn't because the church hurt, Okay. Part of it is God pruning the church. That people who are false believers who never truly believe, God pruning them. God's letting them go. You don't believe in me? There's a door. You can go. All right? Okay. The second part of this, and it is more hopeful, is the Bible gives us a, a, a better picture of a victorious gospel, a, a victorious Jesus in a victorious kingdom. I believe that we are coming up on the golden age of Christian revival. That Jesus is going to come back to not only America wanting him, but the whole world. Jesus will have dominion. He will have, he will be king. It's this idea that um, nobody's going to believe in him, that the world's going to, keep getting worse can you imagine living during the holocaust and world war ii you would if you were a christian living during world war ii you would probably think that's the end of the world and and this crazy end time theology through the years where you had uh ronald reagan being the antichrist and you had richard nixon being the antichrist and you if anyone fit that definition of an antichrist it would have been hitler but the world continued on right the the world continued on so i do not believe christianity is going to decline i think god is fine-tuning it and that we believe in a victorious jesus the kingdom will grow the kingdom is not going to be defeated you remember it when i said that a lot of times churches operate from a position of defeat that their end time theology makes them not do evangelism but we have a victorious jesus psalm 72 8 through 11 says may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth may desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick that dust. May the kings of Tarnish and of the coastlands render him tribute. 
May the kings of Sheba and Sheba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. Does that sound like does that sound like Jesus loses? Does that sound like we have a defeating king? No, we have a victorious king and we have a victorious gospel. So I have a lot of hope for the future of Christianity. What happens is churches who stop being fruitful because preference is king and they do things like it's 1940, they'll die out or they'll have to combine with the other small churches. But the, the gospel will continue to grow. Churches will continue to impact people. The gospel will win. So here's another passage. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and be lifted up above the hills and all nations shall flow to it and many people shall come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the lord to the house of god of jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path the reason why american christians think christianity is not working is because we are american centric because our our churches are uh, intoxicated by uh, politics. Politics is an idol in the conservative church, and and then we wonder why no one wants to hear the gospel. Because we're not preaching Jesus as King. We're preaching anyone else but King. I tell I say this every election cycle. No matter who is president, Jesus is King forever. We need to get back to preaching Christ in his kingdom. And churches got to stop operating from a position of defeat. The reason why your church is on the decline is because you're not preaching this victorious king. You're not preaching Christ. You're preaching everything else. Liberal churches, they're preaching identity politics. Liberal churches and conservative churches are preaching a different gospel. We need to be a church who are on fire for Jesus Christ and no one else. No one else. Our identity needs to be in Jesus alone. And Isaiah, 20, Isaiah 2 is another example of that Jesus will win. His kingdom is going to grow. It's go, So from first century to now, the kingdom of Jesus Christ has grown slowly but surely. And Jesus tells us that it's going to be like this. He will have dominion. The kingdom will win. We don't even know what nation will be here in 2070. We don't, we don't even know America is going to be called America in 2070. So you can't say that the church is, is going to decline. But we can know this as Christians. The gospel wins. Christ will continue to keep saving people. Listen, brothers and sisters, if you're in a camp that believes in the rapture, okay, but I'm going to encourage you. Up until the rapture, Jesus is going to keep being Jesus. He's going to keep saving people. So that should empower your evangelism. Do you want people to come to your church? Do you want real people to come and believe in Jesus? Well, you better believe that Jesus is going to save them. If you don't believe Jesus is going to continue to be king and save people, then why are we doing church? Why are we doing church? We are here not to be religious clubs. We are here to be embassies of the kingdom. One person at a time, life on life, people will be transformed. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32 about the kingdom. He says, he put another parable before them. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took 
inserted in the field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. What he is telling his disciples is the kingdom of God will grow into a mighty force, that more and more people will come to the kingdom, become kingdom members, and that since the first century, since his ascension in, in Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, and you're reading the books of Acts, the book of Acts is all about the beginning of the church and its growth, and how Christianity took over Rome, and the early, the early world, and how it became one of the majority influences in the world. Jesus is saying to his people and to us today that the kingdom still works. So, what does that mean for us? Okay, what does that mean for us? The Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. But the Great Commission is from a position of victory. It's not, yeah, maybe people will get saved. No. Here's what the Great Commission says. Verse 18 in Matthew 28 says this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Does it say some authority or a little bit of authority? Saints? No. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Saints, the problem here, the, the problem here is we come at this with a position of defeat. The, the Great Commission assumes that people are going to be transformed and we are called to teach them how to be disciples. This is not saying, this is not saying go teach them fire and and salvation. Say it's in their spirit and you get out of hell, but you don't love God. There are, this is telling people to make disciples who make disciples. People who come to truly come to Christ and they learn how to live for him. That's what churches need to do. It's not about uh, uh, patting ourselves on the back and doing events and having uh, hundreds of people come to Christ and then we never see them again. When churches boast about salvation numbers, and I look around, I don't see any of them. Like, what are you talking about? We're, like, you do an outreach event, and you say, oh, 10 people came to Christ. And then the following Sunday, you don't see those 10 people in church. And then we wonder why our churches are declining. It's because we're not doing the Great Commission. We're not discipling people. We're not giving people a, a place to learn how to obey Jesus. So, closing thoughts. Are we doing church from a position of victory or defeat? This is reflected in our church culture and attitudes. All right. I hope that you're doing church from a place of victory. I hope that in your attitudes, case in point, I did my first outreach event for my church. Uh, it was a video game night for students. We had about five kids that showed up. Um, is that a defeat or a victory? I would say it's a victory because it gives us, there's our, uh, there was one kid there that I never met before. And I have an opportunity now through his friendships with 
kids at the church that he there's the opportunity to keep loving on him and, and giving him a space. I'd rather have kids coming to church and playing video games than being out there in culture learning uh, things that don't don't matter. So God gave us victory that night because there, there were five kids with everything they can choose from. They came to a gaming night at the church. So sky's the limit with our outreach. God can do anything, amazing things. But in, in your attitude as a church, do you come from a position, position of victory or defeat? If you have a church of 25 people, if you believe that God can use your church and that people will be saved through the ministry of your church, you can be unstoppable compared to a church with 6,000 people. But you have to have that attitude. So I will end the podcast on this note. No, I don't believe that Christianity will ultimately decline in America. I don't. What I believe is true Christians will be made. True Christians will be discipled. And true churches will stand out as victorious because they have a victorious king. The churches who have a weak Jesus, who have uh, Jesus that is a pushover and a tree hugger, they will close and they will lose. Passive leaders, passive churches, woe is me gospel, will lose. But if you are a church that has victory in your heart, grace in your methods, you'll be unstoppable. So thank you for joining us today for episode 49. We tried some new things today. We're broadcasting to YouTube for the first time. I hope that today's episode has blessed you. Uh, We will be on Thursdays. We'll be topical. If you want to do, if you want to suggest a topic, let me know. Message the the podcast uh, on Facebook. You can uh, message, leave a comment on YouTube or on any of the podcast app. But I thank you for tuning in to episode forty nine of the Limping for Jesus podcast with Pastor Mike Matthews. Have a great rest of your week.